Amen and good morning. You may turn with me if you have a Bible with you to the book of Philippians as we continue in our series, this series and book of joy and a gospel partnership. So good to see you this morning. If you're a guest with us, I want to welcome you. If we've never met, my name is Brad and I had the privilege of being one of the pastors here and it's a joy to be open up this word with you this morning. We've been working through this book and we come now to the end of chapter one. Of course, in Paul's mind, there was no chapters, but in our chapter divisions, we come to the end of this section. And where we're at this morning, Paul has said a lot already. And now, he's going to give them their first command. He hasn't told them to do anything yet. He's telling them about where he's been, what's going on, how the gospel is advancing, even in chains. But now he gets into the letter and saying, this is what I want you to do as a result of who Christ is and what he is doing. So like them, like the church that was in Philippi, when you hear the first command that Paul gives, you see, this is important. I'm to listen in because I know that this first command is going to set the tone for the rest of the letter. It's going to be so very important for everywhere that he is going and talking about the unity that we are to have and the partnership that God has called us to. It's as if Paul is saying, if you get this right, you get everything right. We are a gospel-saturated church. That's our first pillar. We often talk about that a lot. And perhaps no other passage captures the implications of the gospel for, his, for the church. And so it's really important for us to see today. John, my mic is like doing a weird thing. Is there something I need to do? You think I need to pull it away a little bit? We're good? Okay. Good? Pull it out a little bit? All right. There we go. All right. Don't want that to be a distraction from you hearing God's word this morning. So whatever we need to do, I want to acknowledge the distraction And uh, go from there, okay? So Philippians 1, verse 27, this is what it says. Uh, The Apostle Paul, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you're standing firm in one spirit in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. Paul has written this now, and he's telling them about how he's living out the gospel, even under his house arrest. He's saying, my goal is to magnify Christ, and for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And he's showing now to us and to the church in Philippi what that looks like for us to live out the gospel together. Paul reminds them, first of all, of their dual citizenship, or perhaps where their proper citizenship is found. If you remember, the city of Philippi is 800 miles away from Rome, but they are a colony of Rome with all the rights and privileges that Rome has. And the city of Philippi, including these that are living in here that Paul is writing to, they take great pride In their citizenship. They would have thought this is awesome being Roman citizens. And we love our own citizenship. 
But Paul writes to them and says, your ultimate reality is not that you are a colony of Rome, but your ultimate reality is that you are a colony, even more than that, citizens of heaven. As I was thinking about this this week, I drew something while I was sitting at my desk, a little picture here, and I've scanned it in for you. And I'm kind of proud of my drawing here, so I'd appreciate it if you'd be as well. To help us capture this, just a little bit of this citizenship that we now have in heaven. If you are in Christ, you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son whom God loves, that is Jesus. So as citizens of heaven, we have an ultimate true king. You are not living in a democracy. You do not get to make the rules or have Christ submit to your authority. It's the other way around. We fully submit to all of who he is and what he has said. And the good thing is, is he's a really good king. He's the greatest king. And so submitting to him as Lord is where true freedom is actually found. That's why Paul in the book of Ephesians says this. It says, and he that is the father subjected everything under his feet, that is Jesus, and appointed him as the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Jesus is our king. That's who we look to. He's our Lord, and we are proud to be called his citizens. But every commonwealth or every kingdom must have a law of the land, a constitution. So you see behind me there that the gospel is our constitution. But it's not a law of do's and don'ts, but more of the core of who we are. It shapes our culture. It tells us how we are to relate to one another. Now, I don't want to assume that every single one of us in the room here has a clear understanding of the word gospel and what that means. In fact, I was working with a family one time and I was sitting at their kitchen table and they said, oh, we understand the gospel. And then I showed them the gospel from the scripture and they go, oh yeah, we haven't ever heard it like that before. So I don't want to assume that we all know what that is. So I want to just take a moment here and explain to you the gospel. And if you're a Christian and you know this, don't shut off, but glory in it. Find your joy in the recounting of all that Christ has accomplished for you. Gospel, it means good news. It's an announcement. It's a proclamation. And I want to take you to 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, where Paul describes this in his letter to the Corinthians. He says, now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel. That I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now here's the content of the gospel. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. So what does it say here? That it says that Christ died. That's the first part of the gospel. Why did he die? For our sins. When you see the word for in this context, it's talking about in the place of or on behalf of. 
So here's the first part of the gospel is you have to understand that you are a sinner. That you have decided to go your own way and not the king's way. You've said, I want to be my own ruler and master of my own life. And so that's what the Bible calls sin. So Jesus came to die for sin or in the place of sinners. And then we see that he rose again. Oh man, everything's been paid for. That Christ rose and conquered death, that death was arrested that we sang about this morning, means that the resurrection of Christ is the receipt that everything's been paid for. You are now able to have your sins forgiven and come into a relationship with God. And it says this is all according to the scriptures. That's why my wife read this morning about Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And he showed the disciples, those Jewish Christians, he says this. He says, don't you see that all of this is not something new? It's what the scriptures have always talked about. That the Messiah must suffer, that he must die, and that he will rise again. And so this is a message that there is good news, that you can have hope, that you can have a relationship with God, but this message must be received. And so you have to look at it and go, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that there's nothing I can do. I can never be good enough. I must receive this good news by grace that Christ has done it all for me. And if you receive that simple truth this morning, You will have your sins forgiven. You'll come into a relationship with God. The righteousness of God, of Christ, will be applied to you. And you don't even know what that means, but it's beautiful. And it's awesome. And you will have hope and eternal life. So if you've yet to receive Christ through faith alone, not good works plus the gospel, but just the gospel, do so today. So when I say gospel, this is what I'm talking about. You can sum it up this way. Jesus in my place. Jesus died for me, and he rose again for me. And through faith, I can receive this message that Christ has done in the gospel. So Paul then shows this citizens of heaven, he says. We have a new king. It is not the emperor. We have someone beyond him. We have a new constitution. It's not the law of Rome. It is the gospel of Christ. Lastly, I want to see church as an embassy. Now I drew that, those people next to the church because right, the church is not a building. It's the people that gather together. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors. Where's the people, right? You don't have a church without people. But the church is to be an embassy. We are all citizens of heaven living together. And when we gather, the church is to be the soil of heaven It's where we find our solace. It's where we find what we're about, who we are. We will be reminded of our true citizenship. I was in France earlier this year and I saw the American embassy. There was something cool about being on foreign soil and then seeing your homeland represented. And I was reminded of this, that this is what it's like living as citizens of heaven. You see in the background some French flags, and then you see the giant American flag. And this is what it's supposed to look like. We don't pull ourselves away from the world that God has called us to live in, but we live differently in it. And sometimes it's so easy to forget about that, where our true citizenship lies. 
And so that's why we gather together as an embassy, a church, to be reminded that we have a different king, that we have a different constitution. It's the gospel. And we be reminded of who we are together in our true citizenship. So the gospel is our constitution. It forms how we live. And that's what the rest of this passage in Paul's first command is all about. He says, as heaven's citizens, live your life worthy of the gospel. It doesn't even really sound like a command, does it? But I was asking a question how do we live worthy of a message? If truly, if I was to get this right, I get everything right. How is it that I'm supposed to live worthy of a message? Matt Evans, who's here this morning, meets with me during the week and he helps me think about my messages and how to present these. And he goes, dude, Saving Private Ryan. I was like, yes. And some of you are familiar with Saving Private Ryan. And every time I watch this scene, I can't help but cry. And I was in my office this week watching it on YouTube and tears began to stream down my cheeks. Now, I didn't even cry at my own kid's birth, all right? So this is like crazy, okay? But, I mean, if Tom Hanks was in the room and you had that music playing, I probably would have cried in that hospital room. But here I was thinking about this story. It's based on a true story, based on some brothers who lived in Erie, Pennsylvania. And three of the brothers died in World War II. And they said, we're not going to let the last brother, the fourth of them, die. And we're going to go and bring him back home safely to his family. So this is a story based on that story of men that came to find the lone brother that was left, Private Ryan. And this is the very end of the movie. Private Ryan, who you can't see his face there, played by young Matt Damon and Tom Hanks, the captain that was dispatched to go and save him. Just about everybody in that battalion died, except for a few. And Tom Hanks is dying here, and he, he pulls in Private Ryan, and he says, earn this. He pulls him in closer on the edge of passing away, and he says, earn it. Now, could he ever earn everything that had been done for him? No, he couldn't earn it. But what was he saying? Live your life in such a way that you live and remember the price that was paid for you. So when the Apostle Paul says, live your life worthy of the gospel, he's saying live your life in such a way that you know the great sacrifice that was made for you. That's why he says you've been bought with a price Therefore, honor God with your body. He says just one thing. If you get this right, you get it all right. Not a list of rules, not a list of regulations, but a story. The story of sacrifice and Jesus' resurrection for us. He says, worthy. Live your life worthy of the gospel. That's what he's called you to do. So at work... I live my life worthy of the gospel. I live in such a way that I remember the great sacrifice that was made for me. At home, my goal 
is to live a life worthy of the gospel. On a business trip, my goal is to live a life worthy of the gospel. On vacation, my goal is to live a life worthy of the gospel. When I'm with friends, when I'm in a relationship, when I'm at school, my life is to show the worth of the gospel with all that I do. To say, I know the great price that has been given for me. I'm going to live differently to show that Jesus is worthy. That's the goal. That's what God has called me to do. And because the gospel is our constitution, it means that we treat each other differently when we gather. We are to treat each other in a way that reflects the gospel. So we show each other grace. We're kind to one another. But at the same time, we hold each other accountable. And we say, brother, sister, the way that you're living does not match up, does not square with the gospel. Remember the great price that was paid for you. Live a life that puts that on display. And so Paul, for these remaining verses, is going to show us how a church who lives worthy of the gospel, what it will look like. Would you stand with me as we read the bulk of this passage, Philippians 1, 27 through 30. Philippians 1, 27 through 30. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I'll hear about you. That you're standing firm in one spirit, in one accord. Contending together for the faith of the gospel. Not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God. For it's been granted to you on Christ's behalf that not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. This is God's word. You may be seated. So I want us to just see this morning what happens when we're worthy or live a life that is worthy of the gospel. Here's the first thing that will be true of us. When we strive to live worthy of the gospel, we will be unified. When we strive to live worthy of the gospel, we will be unified. Paul says standing firm in one spirit, in one accord... Contending together for the faith of the gospel. If the church gathered is to be the soil of heaven on earth, we must be unified. But let's be honest. You've been a part of a church. Not all the time does the church feel like heaven on earth, does it? In fact, sometimes it feels like the other place if we're honest, right? Because we're all sinners still. And the only way that we will be unified is if we keep the gospel central. It's what we are about. Now Paul uses in all of his writing war metaphors and sports metaphors. So if you don't like sports, don't blame me, okay? The people in Philippi probably rolled their eyes too who didn't like sports, okay? But I'm just telling you what the text says. And he's doing this on purpose. He's using warlike metaphors. He's saying when soldiers, they stand firm. 
arm in arm. They plant their feet in the ground, unified together. And when the enemy presses in, they hold the wall. They stand firm. Now, I think a lot of us, we love football so much this time of year because they're kind of like our soldiers of today, aren't they? Like they come out of the tunnel, amen, and they're like arm in arm together. Everyone who's is cheering. Some of them have like smoke and fireworks that are going off as they come out of the tunnel. And everybody is jacked up to see their soldiers. They got their armor on and they're ready to play. When there's a big hit, we go, ooh, ah, right? Except when it's targeting, then we get upset, right? And so we get this going and we're like, man, look at this. And what Paul is saying here, he says, stand firm. It's that defensive line when it's fourth and inches. And they're not trying to let that team through. Their cleats are in the ground together. And what do they do? They hike the ball. And then the announcer's like, oh, they stood him up. They stood him up. He didn't get through. They get the ball over. This is the picture of the church. So in love, so driven by the gospel. We say this is so important to us. We're going to lock arms together and dig our feet into the ground because if we lose this, we've got nothing. We will be unified together in the gospel. Now there are some things that will hinder us from being unified in the gospel. And the first one is to muddy the gospel. I remember there was a guy who invited me to have our church be a part of an event with other churches that muddied the gospel. They said, we believe that Jesus died, but we also believe that it's Jesus' death and some works mixed in. And I said, we can't have anything to do with that. Because we're not going to be a part of something where the gospel is muddied. We believe in the scriptures teach that the gospel is by faith alone through grace alone. And if there's ever an opportunity that that is missed, we're not going to be a part of it. So we primarily, we say we stand firm and we hold to the gospel. What is our primary doctrine that we hold to? Now another thing that can affect our unity is rallying around secondary doctrines. I had a guy say to me this last week, he goes, I'm not sure I can partner with you because you won't take a strong stand on the timing of the return of Christ. I said, I don't think we could do anything together. I was like, wow. So we're gospel, we're all together all the way, but yet because we disagree perhaps in a secondary doctrine in a small way, not that I don't believe that Christ is returning, but that we won't take a strong stand on when that's happening, we can't do anything together, that's sad. I think in the church, though, what will break up our unity is to lose sight of the gospel for preference. We are not a church that is gathered together because of a school that we choose to send kids to. Homeschool, Christian school, public, that's not what unites us. We're not a church that because we all agree the same thing on vaccines or masks or gluten. You laugh, but it's true, right? We're not a church that rallies together because we all feel the same way about Trump. We're not a church that rallies together because we all feel the same way about trick-or-treat or music. No. We are a church. And if we want to be, if we want to have disunity, that's the kind of things we'll rally around. 
Instead, we rally around what God tells us to rally around, and that's the gospel of Jesus. And it affects everything. That's what we're committed to. And if we're going to be a unified church, that's going to be our anthem. That's going to be our flag that we wave. That Jesus Christ is king. And salvation is found in no other but him. And some of us have issues between each other. You've been wronged. You've been hurt. And instead of approaching each other in a gospel way, we just keep coming and we avoid others. And it breaks up the line. It makes us ineffective. So if we want to be an ineffective church that just does church, we'll focus on everything else. But if we want to be a church that's used by God for his glory, we'll come together in the gospel and join arm and arm together. Paul says standing firm, striving together. This is the other side of the metaphor. It's the offense breaking through the line. As they push that quarterback, the, the running back is behind them, pushing them through. And they're striving through together. They're taking, advancing the gospel with the greatest news ever. And we don't want to just hold the line and say this is what we drive our feet in. We want to keep pushing forward in humility, striving together, pushing across to the goal line, saying we're unified together and standing firm in the gospel and pushing forward in the gospel. So when we strive and live worthy of the gospel, we will be unified. And when we strive to live worthy of the gospel, we'll be courageous. We'll be courageous. Paul says, not being frightened by your opponents... This is a sign of their destruction, but of your salvation, and this is from God. Not frightened, it simply means this, to not freak out over little things. It's referring to a horse that is easily frightened and causes a stampede. You ever notice a stampede, they happen by little things, like a, a leaf that shakes the wrong way or something, and all of a sudden everything is chaos. We as a church say we have a different king. And he's the all-powerful king. So we're not going to be frightened when culture is against us or when there's wars raging. We have a solid hope that doesn't move. And so some of us are so fearful, but like a horse in the stampede, we don't even know why. When did this happen? I'm so afraid. There's so many things. And I'm, I'm being ineffective because I'm living in so much fear. Focus your life back on the gospel. The gospel, when it's the center of your life, brings courage. It makes you courageous. It makes you do brave things that you never thought you could ever do. And those of you who are living in fear, let me tell you the cure for fear. It's more fear. Right now, your fear is in the world and everything that's going on in your life. When you need to transfer your fear to, to, to having more fear of God than the things in your life. To be in such awe of God and his power and all of who he is. Say, that's where my fear needs to be. In awe of God so that the other things is pale in comparison to him. So exchange your fear, your unhealthy fear, for a healthy fear of all of God and who he is. Don't be afraid. The gospel has called us to be courageous people. So where do you need courage? Courage to share with a friend 
courage to share with a coworker who you're scared if he finds out that you are actually a Christian because you haven't been living in such a way. To own up and say, I want to live differently and I want you to know that I love Jesus and I want him, I want you to share in the same way that I have with Jesus. Maybe it's adoption, you're feeling called to it, you're fearful of it. Foster care. Maybe you're scared of serving in children's ministry. I am. That's why I'm preaching right now. <laughs> God can give you what you need, the courage. The courage to continue to pray for a wayward son or daughter. The courage to rely on God to bring them home. The courage to really believe the gospel in the midst of your doubts. The courage to believe that the gospel actually does change people. Oh, God has not called us to a spirit of fear, but a spirit of courage. And it comes through believing the gospel. And this is what he says. He says, to your opponents, those who are against the gospel, not against you, we're not struggling against flesh and blood. But those who are against the gospel, it's a sign of their destruction. Those who are opposed to the gospel, their end is eternal death, but yours is life. Even more than that, as you think about the empire that they were so crazy and so excited about that was so powerful, where's the Roman Empire today? You could pay 30 euros and tour the whole thing. It's not a superpower anymore. Where's the church today? Oh, it's going. It's unstoppable. The conversions that are happening right now in China is just unbelievable. God's work and his kingdom continues to go on. It's unstoppable when every other power is stopped. It leads to destruction, but Christ's kingdom goes forever. And we got a little taste of that, and one day we're going to see it in its fullness at the consummation of Christ's kingdom, and we look forward to that day. Lastly, we strive to live worthy of the gospel when we do will be sufferers. Paul says it's granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him, but to suffer for him. Granted, that's the word where we get grace. He says God saved you by grace. That's the gift that we really like, isn't it? And then he says, and he's also gifted you the opportunity to suffer for him. That's the gift that we don't necessarily want. There was one year where I just got like pajama pants, every gift that I opened from anyone. And I had like 10 pairs of pajama pants in my bottom drawer. And I was like, I don't need anymore, right? That's the gift that we don't want. Suffering, it's the jelly of the month club. When we want the pool, right? I mean, it's just this gift that nobody desires. But yet God says, this is a gift to you. In your suffering, my kingdom is put on display. In your suffering and endurance, you grow to know me in a way that you never would without this. It's a gift. And it's a reminder that this kingdom is not the one that we are a part of, but another kingdom. Where Christ is king. Where the gospel is central as our constitution. And where the church is the embassy. My friend says this. Courageous unity in the middle of difficulty is an opportunity to display our given identity. Courageous unity in the middle of difficulty is an opportunity to display 
our given identity. I don't know what God's going to take our church through, but there's going to be difficulty along the way. And one way that we can demonstrate to others looking in that we know Christ is through courageous unity together. To join arm in arm together. To hold down and to push forward. And I want us to just listen this morning as those who have gone before us, the Apostle Paul through the word of God, it's almost like he's pulling us in right now and saying, earn this. Don't miss it. You miss this, you miss everything. But if you live yourself, wor- live yourself in a way that's worthy of the gospel, that you live as one who remembers the great price that had been paid for them, oh, you gain everything, you get it all. 